a dream that we'd all die for A reason for us all to live and something we could fight for I might just help a man up to his feet or hold a newborn But no matter what I do, my hands remembering my rifle Guys, today's episode is made possible by Combat Fuel um, Hang on, I got some stuff written down for about here somewhere, one sec Oh yeah, that's it, Cloudy Lemon They got a new pre-workout flavour coming out, Cloudy Lemon um, I don't know what's in it I ain't Dumbledore, so uh, re- I tell you what. Actually, I'll read the label. Right, what's on the label? Big words is what's on the label. Uh, beta alanine. That means that uh, you take your little puny beta muscles and it makes them bigger. Uh, alpha GPC turns you into an alpha, obviously. And astrogen sounds sounds alcoholic. So there you go. There's a few of the ingredients in it. Um, what I will say is, I have tried. They sent me out a early tub because you know, unlike you peasants, I'm actually someone quite important and I get sent combat fuel nice and early so uh delicious and I'm, I'm not just saying that usually when you take uh when you take the old pre-workout you have to gargle it down like you're in a three pad of block pie but not so with combat fuel delicious delicious tasting and uh put even a bit a few ice cubes in there if you want to be fancy and sip on it um so check them out at Combat Fuel, combat-fuel.co.uk. Linked up in the show notes. Let them know I sent you. Stick the code in, V-S-O-M, at checkout, and they'll give you some money off. Welcome back to State of Mind. I'm your host, Garen Jones, joined via the interwebs by Mr. James Fairman. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about your... Career, but hang on, I just said that I was going to let you talk talk about that bit. So why don't you give us the <laughs> top-down view on where you're from, what you used to get up to, and what you're up to now? Um, first of all, thank you for having me on as your first pilot, I understand, despite getting to nearly 200 episodes of the podcast. I think it might be. I think you might be our first pilot, mate, to be fair. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, yes, you are. Cool. The marvellous Liz McConaughey beat me as... um rotary crew um when she did her awesome episode but anyway okay about me um because a pilot is never going to turn down the opportunity to talk about themselves <laughs> um so i um was virtually i wasn't a scaly brat but i might as well have been the amount i moved around as a kid so i lived all over the place um but the interesting life started in august 2001 when i joined the royal air force um, and went to raf cranwell uh, to train to be an officer, officer first, pilot second, which isn't true at all. You're a pilot first, obviously. And that was a month before uh, the 11th of September, 2001. So uh, a month into our course, we were doing the old pine poles and our flight commander came out and said, um, someone's just flown two aircraft into the Twin Towers. So uh, our RAF regiment um, instructor the next who? morning. Who were they? And who were they? Never heard of them. <laughs> Um, I promised myself I would um, sing the praises of the RAF regiment as often as I could on this podcast. Well, you can sing on a different podcast, mate. Um they didn't even make us do the five miler of death. We, we weren't hard enough for that at Cranwell. You don't make the officers do that sort of uh, hardcore stuff. You'd kill us all. Gentlemen. Um, yeah. So, uh, so he was marching us up and down the next day um, with, we're all off to Afghanistan. We're going to get that bin lad in. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was an interesting six months as essentially we just sort of switched off from the rest of the outside world, finished off the course. They obviously didn't have the, the wherewithal to think, right, okay, let's, um, we can see that the world's changed. How does the Air Force change with it? No, let's stick with the 1970s training program and turn these fine ladies and gentlemen into officers. Um, 
so yeah i finished that in um, february 2002 became the equivalent of a first lieutenant and uh, started my flying training which went on for a couple of years i then made it to the mighty puma um, and the operational conversion unit down at RAF Benson in Oxfordshire in uh, mid to late 2004. Um, and after learning how to fly that for six months, was posted out to my first frontline posting in Northern Ireland out to Op Banner on the mighty 230 squadron, the Tiger squadron out there, um, where I lived the best job in the world as um, a helicopter pilot in the Royal Air Force. It was absolutely bloody brilliant flying an incredible aircraft even though it was old she's like a sports car is the puma uh, or more like a tbr it's like if when you're handling it and you can do it properly and you're driving like the stick it's absolutely epic but if you take your eye off the ball for a second she'll bite you in the ass and crash you into a hill difficult aircraft to fly but uh, that's why they send all the legends to her and not to um chinooks or <laughs> anything else um so yeah did that at northern ireland and then um started to do some of the more real stuff by going out to iraq in february 2006 uh probably a similar time i think to when you were around out in basra or was that when you'd gone to herrick by then i can't remember from that was at uh, 06 07 mate right um but we were up in baghdad so we uh were doing what was called the baghdad helicopter uh, detachment the bhd um when Root Irish had got so dangerous up in uh, Baghdad that uh, they weren't going to put any more road moves on between Baghdad International Airport and the Green Zone. Um, so the mighty Puma taxi came in to take over. Uh, so we flew uh, two aircraft so that you had both the carrying capacity and um, the top cover from the other aircraft flying bus runs around Baghdad to the various uh, parts of the green zone, the, the training um, areas where Brits and Americans were training up the um, Iraqi forces and um, flying diplomats, civilians. Uh, if you've ever watched Green Zone, um, the film, uh, it's that sort of um, intense area in the centre of the town behind all the blast walls where you had bizarre numbers of civilians and diplomats and everyone working to try and make, um, well, pull the shit out of the fire that they'd made by doing it without a plan to start with if i'm allowed to say that um oh mate on this podcast come on you know me <laughs> this is music to my ears <laughs> uh, um you know you read books like fiasco about uh, iraq and um the the middle east specialists who said well, we, we told them this was gonna happen <laughs> um and and then uh, when the administration realizes having kicked everyone out of the bath party um oh maybe we shouldn't have done that can we try and turn this around no no you can't um so anyway we did the uh, the very simple um life of, of taxiing uh, and again it was epic um you know as a young uh, junior officer and pilot flying the aircraft um in you know, it's it's not proper combat zone it's not the sort of stuff that you and liz were talking about in um in afghanistan but you saw a bit of tracer when you did the night flying Ooh, pretty as it sort of zoomed off into the distance and then you you think about it and you realize well actually if you've seen the tracer it's going the other way what about the ones that are coming towards me that i can't see oh shit don't think about that and uh yeah uh, that was that i did two of those did another one later on in november that year uh, and then the following year in early 2007, went back out, slightly different debt. Um, and 
had a, a very close friend of mine was killed in an accident uh and that was when things kind of started to unravel for me a little bit um didn't realize it at the time the Pima force was very very busy the air force was busy the army was busy everyone um was giving it full everything and um i got married later that year uh, and it was very difficult being essentially based in northern ireland so that was when you were home but my other half was a doctor in newcastle she was um, a med student when we met and then um, graduated as a doctor but the air force in its infinite wisdom um still had the mindset of sort of 1970s you're married your little wife lives on the patch um and and that's the way it is so uh it's a bit weird when someone turns around and says well my wife earns more than me her <laughs> career moves her around a lot as well is it because i'm a bloke or because the military is this overarching amazing thing the nhs is a um is a, a public service as well who's going to win mm -hmm. um well the military is fairman flipping get your acting gear and pull your wife in line it was interesting going to one of the briefs by the armed forces pay review board at the time which usually you'd be mortified to have been stung to have to go and listen to them but they knew what the score was back then their reports had said this is a challenge facing the military now that spouses will earn more um you're not necessarily going to be the priority anymore and you're going to have to battle that uh, no <laughs> you just tell mm -hmm. tell the tell the military bods what to do so i was at that point feeling like i was pulled in two different directions um i went back out did another debt uh, my nickname um at the time was fairy cakes um which uh, anyone who follows me on instagram will know well and um i was a mild-mannered kind of guy that matched that uh matched that nickname um although one funny moment in iraq if i may uh, give you one word it um because it's a, a a bit of a laugh the, there was a general i think or a colonel and was sitting in the back of the um of the aircraft and i was walking out with uh with the maps and weapons um as the pilot was shouting where's ferry where's ferry and so uh, this general or colonel said please god tell me that um, i'm not about to be flown over the sunny triangle by a fucking pilot called fairy <laughs> just as i climbed in I went, hi sir <laughs> <laughs> and jumped into the front filling him with confidence but we got him there safely for his uh, quail's eggs on toast for for supper in the green zone back home um being pulled in a couple of different directions we had um a bad year as the puma force in 2007 because we had three large accidents with i think it was f across those accidents we'd lost five six seven people um from crews and passengers uh, that were killed and obviously a number more that were injured um and we all just kind of had to keep hands to the pump but that was difficult for me um i struggled and in the end uh, while being pulled in a couple of different directions by um, personal life and military desire, I started self-harming um, after drinking too much. I used to get very angry uh, on that last debt, having been fairy cakes. I was then nicknamed Flashman because my temper would mm -hmm. go off so quickly, usually shouting at American pilots for getting in our way. 
Um, but I then got downgraded, um, posted out to a ground tour. Um, and although I did get back to flying, it never quite went right again, even though I was even better coming back a second time. If I can blow my own trumpet a little bit, I was an awesome pilot by the end. Um, but that, in a set, that comes back to a lot of what you've talked about with, um, other people on the podcast that when you're kind of not necessarily a spent force as a, um, as an operational um, member of the military, you've still got a huge amount to give uh, in a training role or an advisory role. And I was really good at what I did towards the end, but it was, no, we don't want you around influencing the other guys with your attitude and your mental health. So off you go back to a ground tour and um, mm. uh, an IPVR'd, uh, the voluntary, premature voluntary release and left um i was on a 16-year commission but left at 10 years um you have to kiss goodbye to your pension but um it was worth it at that point because it just wasn't working um but i during that time i'd seen the um the dcmh which i can never remember what it stands for but the the, ho the military hospitals basically um for my mental health but at the time when i was downgraded and um i always feel like i'm being harsh on them when i look back on it but it feels like I got a pat on the knee and uh, they're there, you know. It's like the uh, the old World War II Spitfire pilots that lost some friends in, in dogfights. They meet up every year to have a beer, shed a few tears over some lost friends and then go back on their way. That's what you have. That's not PTSD. That's just natural grieving. PTSD is when someone has seen a, a friend um, injured or killed in an IED, um, they've seen horrible wounds and they take their kids to a birthday party and there's a long pink balloon blowing in the wind and that reminds them of these injured limbs on uh, uh, from their, the trauma that they've seen and it triggers them so that they're right back there that's PTSD and, and you don't have that. So I'm like, okay, great. I don't have PTSD. That sounds horrible. I feel really bad for the people that um, have to go through that. I'm nothing like as bad as that. So off I go. Um, fairy cakes is fixed. Uh, and then once I left, or even before I left, but especially when I left the military, I was angry and irritable, snappy. I just thought, much as I had not wanted to go through that process that people describe of, oh, well, you're institutionalized. It's because you've been in the military and you've had your bum wiped and you're looked after all the time. Your meals are cooked for you and you're, you're paid and you don't have to do anything sort of socially. I thought, well, maybe I have succumbed to that. I've been in for 10 years after all. And I started retraining as a lawyer just to do something completely different. Lots of people said, well, why don't you go to the airlines and, and fly? So it sounded a bit too difficult for me. There's lots of exams. Um, so I retrained as a lawyer instead. And uh, I, I saw a lot of counsellors, therapists through my GP. Um, even when I was retraining, I went to see the, uh, the counsellor at the university that I was at in Newcastle um, to talk through some of my issues. But with the best will in the world. And some of the civvy clinicians are fantastic, particularly the ones with a lot of experience of the military. I'm sure we'll get on to talking about op courage and CTS and, and VTILs. Um, and they, they are excellent 
if not exceptional at talking to um, veterans. Me pitching up to some poor counsellor at university that's used to talking to homesick students and going, yeah, I've got this <laughs> grief and trauma, I think, from uh, from being in the Air Force, seeing a helicopter yeah. crash. And they were like, uh, okay. No. <laughs> um, but I I was able to keep talking myself into, well, that, that shrink who was a, a group captain in in the military and was a psychiatrist. And I'm like, I have so much respect and trust for rank because it's what's drilled into you, isn't it? In the military, the high rank is, they're the ones that know the stuff they do, they do. Sorry to interrupt me, but when you're saying the group captain, when you're saying the group captain, you mean the one who gave you the original pat on the knee? Yeah. There, there, off you go. That, that's the guy. Exactly. Right, okay. So, and, and this is the other thing when you see someone like that, that, of course you're going to smile and say, I'm fine because that's, you assume that that's what they want to hear. And it's a group captain. Um, so it's the equivalent of a full Colonel. There's me as a, um, as a captain, uh, equivalent going in and saying, um, Oh, I'm really sad. And all this is happening and please help me. It's like, I'm fine. How are you? How are you? Fairman? Uh, yes, I'm fine, sir. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and off your tunnel. So Civvy street was, was then very difficult. I went into a difficult job as a trainee solicitor i still enjoyed it but i i never made the connection again because i'd been told i didn't have ptsd so i didn't have ptsd but i would freak out with anxiety at the simplest things um i remember being asked to go and sit behind a barrister in court for one of the partners from the law firm so one of the the senior members of the law firm they had a very big important case but it was just a procedural hearing they'd have sent all the papers to the barrister so the barrister wouldn't have needed me it would I mean, all i was there to do was hold the files for him in case he needed to look something up that was unexpected but i was absolutely shitting myself i remember i had to drive over to carlisle um to go to carlisle county court for this hearing and i was absolutely petrified that the judge might ask me something that the barrister might need something and the 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 firm, my supervisor said to me, you've flown helicopters over Baghdad. What the fuck are you worrying about with this? It's just a court hearing. And yet I had that for four years. Yeah. Four years at the law firm. God, it feels like longer than that. Um, two years as a trainee and two years as a qualified solicitor. And it was like it all the time. If anything, it got worse when once I'd qualified, you start doing running your own cases rather than just helping the partners out. And so I'd qualified into healthcare law. Um, which was mainly clinical negligence work and inquests, um, which obviously wasn't very cheery. I realized in retrospect, when you're going and sitting along representing um, clinicians at, um, uh, there were a lot of suicide inquests. um, And while it was uncomfortable, it was also very instructive for me as to my frame of mind. When you listen into the clinicians and the coroner, talking about things like suicide ideation um and the so what does that mean mate for the peasants listening who don't speak learned scholar peasants, um it means thinking about suicide so if you have looked at the tree in your garden and thought yeah that's where i'd stick a climbing rope or a piece of paracord because i'd be high enough off the ground that i could kick away a stool and um and that'd be all right. That's suicide ideation. If you think about how would I get hold of a paddleboard or a small boat so that my family wouldn't um, wouldn't have to deal with a body 
or as I've obviously recently listened again to your marvellous book, um, when you were talking about driving along the coast and, and thinking about chucking the car away. Oh, thanks, mate. I'd bury that again. Now that's back out in the open. Where's me cocaine? <laughs> People said we weren't going to shout. We are going to make each other shout to the rafters. <laughs> I'm allowed to shout. That's, that's suicide ideation. That's thinking about um, suicide and... and so much of this started it, it still it hadn't broken down the door in my head to say harry this is you um but all the things afterwards when you look back in hindsight you start to see yeah okay and this was one of the things that i when i kind of reached a a low ebb but also an epiphany through my treatment i was like if i'm going through this there is bound to be at least one other person going through this and i still feel thoroughly ashamed to be in that position, but I kind of can detach myself from it to think other people wouldn't be. Other people aren't necessarily ashamed of me. Some people might be, but they can fuck off. You and Joe have taught me that. Um, and it's therefore worth sticking myself out there a little bit if you can help. Um, and especially with the training that I'd had with the clinical negligence, the inquest work, um, that was one of the ways that I had come up with the website. I do have some questions about pilot stuff because I do find pilot stuff fascinating. But as as we're at the as as we're at this point though, let's go down this uh, let's go down this AFCS. Um, let's call it what it is: black hole um, of misery. Let's go down that, and then we will, uh, and then we'll, we'll circle back. Yeah, oh, Jen Saki now circle back. And uh, we'll circle back and we'll talk a bit about um, Top Gun. Yeah, Top Gun, etc. So tell us about the website, mate, and and, and um, what it is. Just tell us, just tell us everything, everything about what you're up to with this with this site. So it's been my labour of love for about six months now, um, but it, it's been a, it was kind of a cathartic way for me to um, get my feelings out or about the Armed Forces Compensation Scheme. So for those that don't know what that is, um, it is the Ministry of Defence's scheme um, to, as it sounds, compensate you for injuries that you might have suffered um, during your service. And unlike the predecessor scheme, which was called the War Pension Scheme, this one, the AFCS, is available to serving personnel as well as veterans. So it's not purely for veterans. I think in its design, the scheme is pretty good. If you were to follow um, the JSP, the Joint Service Publication, which are the um, uh, military publications that guide the way that all the military stuff works, then if you were to follow that and the legislation, so there's a... Um, it's a, an order rather than an act, but essentially it is something that has been passed by Parliament to say, this is how we will run this scheme. This is how the scheme works. These are the, the rules for it. And then JSP 765 explains that in, in better terms. And it's actually very well written. If the scheme worked as it should, I think it's pretty fair and pretty good. If you have suffered an injury or if a um, pre-existing injury or, um, or illness is made worse by your service, then you will be uh, given some money for it. Uh, it doesn't matter whether anyone's been negligent or at fault for that. You will get some 
uh, an award or should get an award. So one of the examples that I give on the website is if you've got um, appendicitis while you're serving, you're not going to get any money for that because appendicitis can happen to anyone. It's caused by your body. But if you're out on exercise in Kenya or in Norway and you get appendicitis, but you can't do a road move and the helicopter can't get to you because of bad weather and you then end up going into some sort of septic shock and get really badly casavacked out um, and have to have worse surgery, you go septic, get repatriated and, and have a bit of time in hospital and, and a scar, then you will get something because your your injury or illness has been made worse by your service. And I think that's pretty cool in its intention. If you take my situation, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, which I still find very difficult to accept because the previous reasons about pink balloons and people that suffer what I consider real trauma. Ah, pink balloon things, fuck, fucking, that's, that's some Hollywood bollocks, that is, mate. Yeah, well, okay, getting getting blown up in a in a warrior, that's um, that's a pucker injury. Not really, because the thing is, mate, but humans being humans, like, well, like when we've had Vietnam vets on the podcast, they're like, yeah, but I wasn't in, I wasn't in the Pacific campaign, was I? People in the Pacific campaign were probably like, well, I wasn't in the trenches, was I? And do you know what I mean? That's just how it is. <laughs> True. True. Okay, jumping back to my, my situation, probably the easiest to explain. Um, if you accept PTSD, um, there is a section in the order for mental injury. It's not the best written because it has largely taken the physical injury sections and tried to apply it without writing it separately. So when you break down all the categories, it's a bit clumsy. But um, but psych isn't uh, an exact science anyway. You can't take a blood test and go, oh, yeah, this guy's got um, like a level six out of 10. Yeah, <laughs> he's got gonorrhea and a level six out of 10 um, PTSD. It's, it's based on the assessment of um, the expert shrinks. And so that's why you get a report. The law was changed a couple of years after it came out. So the order was, uh, the most recent order was made in, in 2011. Um, and that was updated, I think, in 2013 to say that you have to get a diagnosis by a um, consultant, psychiatrist, or clinical psychologist. So you're getting the top level or top, top um, criteria rather than level. They're not necessarily the best because you might have a very experienced associate specialist doctor. Uh, but if you get a Everyone sort of knows what a consultant is, knows that they're the theoretically the top level of, of doctor. So they're saying you've got PTSD. They do that and they can, in their professional opinion, say what level you have. That then goes off to an organization called Veterans UK. And that's where the difficulties come in. So this is the, um, I don't know if they're still called quangos, but the, the subdivision of the Ministry of Defence that is responsible for assessing the Armed Forces Compensation Scheme claims. So be that if you've got a physical injury, you've um, lost a limb, you know, that might have happened by being knocked down by a four-tonner while marching across the base, or if you've got PTSD from service in Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, you send in your claim form, which is pretty intimidating to start with because it's not exactly short, and they will then 
get your records from the military, get any city records that might be relevant from your doctor. They'll go through them, compare them to the order in the JSP and work out what level of injury you are compared to uh, the list, what they call the tariff. Once they've worked out what it is, okay, so you've lost an ankle from being run over by the four-tonner that's, uh, that's needed to be amputated. So that comes in at a level X. Um, we cross-refer that to the, uh, the table of, um, of financial awards, and, and they give you a level 1 to 14, I think it is, of, um, of award, with the, the lower numbers being a higher award. So a level 1, you're going to be seriously injured, um, very, very seriously injured. So they make that award. Some of them come with what's called a guaranteed income payment, which is um, essentially a pension. It's an annual award for life. Um, the lowest one of those is a quarter of your uh, either current pay if you're still serving or your pay when you left uprated for inflation. So using mine as an example again, if I were to be awarded that, um, I left on 44 grand as a flight lieutenant, level seven. So I would get 11 grand a year, theoretically. Um, if I were assessed at that level. The difficulty with the system as it is at the moment isn't, I don't think, with the written system. It's with the way it's implemented and applied by Veterans UK. Now, they may be under massive pressure from the Treasury to try and save money. Don't give them any excuses. Tell us you want us to hang them. Come on, that's what you're here for. <laughs> I think I remember your your rants and bants about it with Joe said, before the Jai Shal Mahdi, before the Taliban, mass grave um, veterans UK, in you get. We would never condone any form of violence against anyone, so it definitely wasn't us. <laughs> um, even if they are under a lot of pressure for it, the system is what it is. You've got to apply, when you're a, when you're a lawyer like me, you apply the law. If there's a policy problem with it, like it costs too much, that's for the politicians to change the law because they're the lawmakers. Mm -hmm. So if they make the correct awards and it's costing them a fortune and it's unsustainable, then they have to debate it and pass a law, which might look bad when it's in the mirror, the sun, the Daily Mail. Oh, look at the poor, look at these evil government um, uh, changing the law so that these poor soldiers and veterans are going to get less money. Uh, and so instead, I can only assume that there's a bit of pressure on Veterans UK to save money by being Cunts. judicious. <laughs> yeah. Judicious with their decisions, um, but not judicious because that because that's um, that would be being fair. So uh, uh, I'm tying myself up in knots. Yeah, they're being cunts. I, I, I think I get what you're saying. It's basically, mate. They're in a salaried position. They and their bosses are saying, wink, wink. Don't hand out as much money. And even if their bosses aren't saying, they're like saying, I know what's expected of me here. Save some money. Troops, bus, under. And then, um, then they get a nice, oh, fucking hell, then they get a nice pay rise, don't they? You know that tree? You know that tree you were looking at? Tang yourself off. I've got some suitors. <laughs> Never let a good hanging tree go to waste is my motto. Um, right. So basically, mate, yeah, what you're saying is it's the nature of fucking bureaucratic systems, isn't it, really? The bureaucrats start looking out for themselves and their own pensions and everyone else gets fucking screwed. 
the difficulty I think comes with the medical advisors that are involved with this, and they're the ones that I am less eager to let off the hook because they're the ones that there's too much anecdotal evidence now from the number of people that I've spoken to and heard say um, about how bad this is. And there must be loads of other people that have given up on the whole system because it is definitely, it is soul destroying. Mm -hmm. um, you know, last, it was almost exactly a year ago, last February, March, I was a, I was close to a breakdown because I was trying to do the my appeal myself and and you are sorry sorry to interrupt me yeah. just to make this clear to people you are trained in law you are an expert in paperwork and law mumbo jumbo fair to say yeah and not just law uh, mumbo jumbo healthcare law mumbo jumbo because i was a uh, sp i specifically qualified into healthcare law i used to represent the uh, health trusts in clinical negligence cases so i'd be um assessing claims that people would put in and you either settle them if they're fair or you challenge them and, and try and take it to trial if they're not so you were on the other side of this you big hypocrite <laughs> <laughs> exactly but that's how i know what the um mm -hmm. what the, the the tricks are but i'm uh, on the inside yeah. Um, so my plan last, you know, this time last year was, okay, I'm going to see if I can help some other people out. Cause I'd written a, a few letters to try and get stuff. My MP was really helpful, but she's not military and it's difficult for other, <laughs> other no, she's absolutely lovely. She's proper superstar. I think it's very, very difficult. I will, I will stick out. Here we go. I'm going to be really unpopular on this podcast, aren't I? I'm going to be sticking up for the RAF regiment for, um, MPs. Um, you're going to kick me off. I'm going to go mute in a minute and you're just going to have a chat with <laughs> yourself for the next half an hour. Just, just so everyone knows while James was saying that his MP did a great job, he was making hanging motions. He <laughs> was, he was gesticulating with his hands miming that he'd like to hang her that definitely happened it, that definitely happened jen robocop jen mm. no no not robocop i refuse <laughs> i refuse because then on my honor i would have to we have there's video evidence of this and i'm not my, my my hair is too fucking precious to me all right i was lying it was me doing the hanging motions um so mate, like so yeah so you got your, your mp involved you are a learned scholar amount of words and letters and you couldn't make head nor tail of what the fuck was going on and also um i was in so what hope does some poor peasants who's never like who's poor, poor peasant who's never and like joking aside never really had the opportunity for for learning probably um and, and is this a deliberate thing to stop the peasants infantry etc getting what they're entitled to do you think I don't know if it would, I'd like to think that it's not that calculated, but, um, the fact that Let's it, just speculate. Say there it is. <laughs> yeah. The fact that it says on the veterans UK website that you don't need representation to do it, mm. that you can ring what what's called the veterans welfare service. And again, they may be very well intentioned, but they're not legally trained. I rang them right. at the start of mine when I was a mess and they said, Oh, you're out of time. It's outside you three years. And, um, so I could have walked away then if I didn't know any better, but being a mm. solicitor, I knew that there's a, what's called a date of knowledge. So if you haven't found out about an injury, um, the clock starts when you do find out about it. So I'd been told I didn't have PTSD for all that time. So in 2018, when a shrink says, actually, we think you do have PTSD and you've probably had it for a long time. That's when the clock starts. So I would have walked away. 
Um, and that's where you do need some some legal help, um, even if unfortunately you do have to pay for it. It's it's not just the help they are they're a shield for you because it is a draining process even without um the without doing yourself the, and, and with the lawyer there it's still horrible i hate hearing anything about them it, it upsets me for days if not longer especially on the um when it's actually a substantive point on my claim it is absolutely horrible experience and i remember reading um in an excellent book um I think it was by a chap called Skarite Jones, uh, uh, Brothers in Arms, available from all good booksellers. Um, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. He'd said Atta that boy. Yeah. Um, squaddies aren't thick, and they're not. They're, they may not have been given the same opportunities as someone like me, but they're not dense, and they won't necessarily understand the legal language. I wouldn't if I hadn't been trained specifically in it and the afcs is very legalese it's then got the the extra layer of healthcare stuff on it as well and they're going to have reports that have been written by a group captain at a dcmh or a colonel um doctor who if they're not necessarily protecting their own um skin and reputation but they will be set in their ways and they will make decisions thinking well this guy's absolutely fine he's he's a highly educated um guy who's been to university he's been a pilot in the air force he's done very well in um in a headquarters afterwards when he couldn't be asked flying anymore he's then gone on and retrained as a solicitor won a prize locally for being the best trainee solicitor in the north and and now he's coming bleating to us saying he's got ptsd he wants to stay at home and and play with his kids and write a book uh, and and live off the state no fuck off um when the shrinks meet me and you drill down into past this mask which everyone who's who's gone through this knows that they put on to people um whether it's through drinking or through being articulate or through being quiet you you mask up you don't think about your your mental health um and uh, and how difficult some things are because you switch into right i'm going to be flight lieutenant fairman today i'm going to be on it and articulate and cool and then at home once you've expended all of that energy from that and your other half asks you to load the dishwasher before you go to bed you're like fuck off i'm not doing that just fill her in just say like what do you think you're doing this is your duties <laughs> smash less of your lips smash do them by hand, smash, now pick up the pieces. I know I know exactly what you're saying, mate, and I condone that. No, I don't really. Veteran State of Mind does not condone wife beating. My uh, superstar of the half who has stuck with me through thick and thin of this. <laughs> right, the, the, the doctor. Mate, I, I've got a couple of points before we lose them yeah, that yeah, I want to yeah. get onto there. Well, something that you said, which was, I think, really pertinent in this, implies to a lot of people, is that, you're usually going to be trying to get this help while you are in a position of being properly head fucked, right? Yeah. And there's definitely no, consider I think it's fair to say, there's absolutely no consideration for that whatsoever. The other thing I find really, let's call it interesting, um, is this three-year thing. Now, 
I forget the exact numbers, right? But what I'll say on the PTSD thing is I was reading some studies about the Vietnam veterans and stuff. And most, the, there was a spike in Vietnam veterans when veterans were hitting their like kind of mid, late 60s and, and, and a spike in PTSD with them. Essentially because they'd come back from war, compartmentalized everything, pushed everything down inside themselves, and then kind of like self, you know, self-medicated with, uh, let's just say, alcohol, cigarettes, um um, drugs maybe but definitely by just keeping busy which is a great way of compartmentalizing and then when they retired and they had time on their hands all of a sudden they're like holy fuck and all this stuff comes back up that is going to be 40 if the average age of the combat soldier in Vietnam was 19 as we all know from the song that is going to be hang on my maths 46 years after they served right so what the fuck is this three year window it's ridiculous. <laughs> to, to be fair to them with the three years, that's for a physical injury, um, even though I still massively disagree with it. And I've done a whole page on the on the website about time limits. You've got seven years, theoretically, for a mental injury or for... Um, oh, seven but, years, yeah, quick. Right, exactly. Um, and the, there's also the date of knowledge argument. But apparently, talking to solicitors that run these cases, the MOD fights what you call limitation. So a limitation period is that period of three or seven years. It fights them really hard. Um, they exist. I mean, some clinical negligence lawyers will still say that they're deeply unfair, but they exist in civil law to try and stop you from from popping up uh, with the claim for for something that you're owed, yeah. for a legitimate claim. So, be right. Is it fair to say that the children of these people should be thrown onto a massive bonfire? <laughs> no, he's I... not disagree. He's not disagreeing, listeners. I think. <laughs> <laughs> is is that on your website as well? Where to best places to have bonfires for, for these fuckers' kids? There's a fiery demon that is ab- on there. <laughs> Mate, that is absolutely disgusting, though. The idea that, like, well, yeah, we don't want p- people popping up with cases. Hang on a minute. If they've got the fucking injury and the mental injury, then when does it matter if they pop up? I'm sorry if it's inconvenient to you, Ministry of Defence, to be paying out for someone who's probably lost his relationships, years of sanity, and now probably has crippling addictions. Sorry if that's inconvenient that it took him a few years to do his fucking paperwork. Exactly that. I couldn't put it any better myself. So, mate, what is the what is it that you're hoping to, to do with this? If it's not about burning people's kids alive, <laughs> then what is it about? What good can you do? <laughs> Um, if I, uh, it's partly to show there's someone else going through it and that Mm. there's someone who is articulate, relatively intelligent and is legally trained and I've still really struggled with it. So hopefully if anyone's trying to go through the system and thinks, oh, fucking hell, if he can't do it, um, and I guess to make it slightly acceptable or more acceptable to instruct a lawyer to help you with it, because it is a difficult decision. You shouldn't have to. Um, and there are charities that will help. Um, the wonderful British Legion that I know sponsors the podcast. Um, they have a dedicated page on their website to help out with, um, with claims, but obviously it's a small part of what the legion can do and lawyers are expensive and they can't pay for every single person claiming to the afcs to have a lawyer they will talk to you about it they will have a chat um and i've spoken to them with my claim and i I was going to give up i was very close to giving up after i had so there's three stages to um the armed forces compensation scheme decisions you get the initial decision then you can ask for what's called a reconsideration which is like the first stage of an appeal 
but a different <laughs> a different assessor and medical advisor within Veterans UK looks at it and says, nah. Um, and then you appeal, which goes to an independent tribunal. It's such a horrific experience that at the end of the reconsideration, you also, you start to doubt yourself. You think, well, if they've had two trained medical advisors look at this and they've said he just wants to mooch off the state and play with his kids at home, write a book, you're fine to go to work, fucking go back to work, then maybe I am. Maybe I'm just a um, a leech and I should uh, moocher and should just go back to work, get a job or um, you know, live on my carer's allowance for looking after my little one. But you then speak to the lawyers and they're like, no. And, and you'd listen, you read the reports of the three other shrinks that have assessed me and who say, articulate bloke who thinks deeply about um, his condition and locks away a lot. Uh, I mean, I've got my another therapy session tomorrow morning um, with the complex treatment service, and we're only just starting to tap into the hardest parts of um, what's caused my mental injury. Mm. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we just got into the start of it, and I kind of felt, ooh, this is starting to break down the dam a little bit. I'll, I'll stick a couple of rocks back in that hole. Um, <laughs> so yeah so back to what am i trying to achieve with the website if i can uh, and i one of the things that inspired me to pick it up again because i tried a couple of times um but since starting using instagram a lot more i've had quite a lot of messages since putting my mental health stuff on there um and a few pieces bits and pieces about the the afcs that that people were interested in what I'd been through because they were applying to the scheme and, and wanted to know what it's like and whether it was worth claiming. Obviously, you've done the episode with um, with Joe about it, and a lot of it is it's closed away and it's unknown. You know, a lot of people might think that, oh well, if I do that, I'm taking money away that would otherwise be going on kit and equipment for the rest of the lads and lasses. You're not. It's all coming from one imaginary pot that Rishi Sunak magics up. Two hundred million pound net worth, Rishi Sunak. Yeah. <laughs> but what I will say is, when we're fucking donating millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds worth to fucking weapons to Ukraine, you can get what you're owed for your fucking head that got fucked up, um, or your leg that the or your leg that got fucked up, your back that got fucked up. Like, let's be honest, you're not going to get much for it. But if you can get what you can, then don't fucking feel bad about it. You're owed that fucking money. These motherfuckers will take everything they can from you. So, Absolutely. Anyway, I told myself I won't get mad. So, sorry, mate. Um, where, where, so, where, where, can people, <clears throat> where can people find this website and stuff? In fact, you know what? Stick a peg in on that. We'll come back to that one um, <laughs> at, at the end. We'll come back and we'll tell everyone to find things at the end because otherwise people are going to forget, aren't they? There's a lot more we could talk about this, about this, mate, but I think we've given people a taste there and they can find more on the website. Um, I'm interested in knowing a bit more about, I'd like to know pre-jaded James <laughs> and what made you join the RAF in the first place. I wasn't one of these kids that grew up wanting to be a pilot, bizarrely enough. Um, I had gone out to, uh, my, my cousin had uh, married a guy in the US Air Force. He wasn't a pilot, but... Um, I went out to 
help them do a, a base move. For, I know you know the states very well. And uh, I flew out into Colorado Springs and they were relocating over to California. And they had two kids, two cars, a dog. And so uh, I said, well, I'll come and help you do the road trip in the summer holidays from university. And then I ended up extending my stay and, and staying at Vandenberg Air Force Base in, uh, in California, near Lompoc, um, for, uh, for about six weeks over the summer. And it was absolutely brilliant. And the way that the Americans do things with their military um, is just epic. You, know, you, you want to take a boat out on a lake up in North California sometime. Okay, there's there's three over in the giant parking lot load of RVs. Just sign one out for the weekend. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I want to do this. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different in the British military. <laughs> oh, if, if you want <laughs> you want to hear a boat, here's your Bergen and your fucking bivy cover getting that lake. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it is not quite the same, sir. But uh, I was partway through my law degree and I didn't like law at the time. I wanted to do something else. And um, this just seemed the way forward. Uh, so I got back, got in touch with the um, liaison officer at uh, my university town who got me on a base visit, uh, went up to RAF Lucas, where the F3 Tornado fighters interceptors used to be based, um, sat in the mess and had a few beers chatting to some of the officers and just thought, yeah, this is fantastic. This is what I want to do. It's amazing. I'd grown up absolutely loving um, Tom Clancy, and uh, which has also been one of my big inspirations for writing. But I loved the his stories of um, daring do in the military and also his relatively compassionate treatment of both sides. Um, mm. And I wanted to be part of that sort of heroism and um and understanding and you know like you are when you're a young naive kid you think it's all black and white and disney star wars and um we'll go and bash the baddies i'd applied for pilot because it was the the top job in the air force i thought well there's no point applying for something else to start with but if i can't make pilot i'll i'll do something else because i really want to be in the air force i've always been interested in knowing how it's decided then what airframes different pilots go on to? Uh, do you have any choice over that? Do you get to say, like, I want to do Pumas or I want to do this? Or you get to that? say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't really count for anything. Is there a bit where a guy goes, I've given you your dream job, send you to Top Gun? Does that not, <laughs> not happen? Not really, no. It just goes, uh, you just get, you just get like a. Just get a list, a list pinned up on the on the wall, and it's like, all right, I guess I'm doing yeah. pumas then. <laughs> One of my best mates, um, when we get so you, you do your first stage of flying training is on uh, a little fixed wing propeller aircraft that uh, does loads of aerobatics and um, and nav and stuff like that, and that's when that's before you streamed to either fast jet, multi engines, or rotary. Everyone wants to be it. So when you say hang on, mate, hang on, streamed, that means they decide, right, you lot go in fixed wing. Yeah, yeah. So that's like that's fixed wing is normal planes and then rotary is Well there's there's fast jet, which is your Eurofighters, Harriers. Back when I was in there was Harriers and uh, Jaguars. Now it would be the F thirty five Lightning or um or the Eurofighter Typhoon. Um or Rotary, so any of the helicopters that the Air Force flies, um, or multi-engine, which is what no one wanted at that point, because that's flying rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong, um, but is actually the, 
So I got fit. So those ones, mate. Those are that would be what Hercules, yep. the, the 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 refueling tankers, that kind yeah, of thing. So no one wanted to do that. I thought Hercules would be pretty alley job. Uh, I think it is when you get there. Certainly from the from the multi engine. If if you had a chance of going multis back then, could have gone Nimrod, which was the submarine hunters at the time. Now been um, finally replaced by Poseidon. Um, or yeah, like you say, there's the tankers. At my time, there was still the VC10, uh, which you probably will have taken out to theatre a few times before they ended up just putting us all on charters out to uh, Ali Deed. Um, or yeah, the Herc, which. Um, well, I fucking hated being in the back of those things, but they were probably absolutely brilliant to fly. But also, as you get older, everyone then desperately tries to change across to uh, Maltese because then you're getting a free thousands and thousands of flying hours before going to the airlines and uh, and trading on a multi-engine aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, one of my best mates at the time when we had our um, our streaming day when we were told where we were going and he was sent rotary instead of um, fast jets because he'd always dreamed of being a tornado pilot and he just didn't get out of bed for the entire day he was that miserable pissed off um, but uh, I was quite happy to be sent helicopters I thought I was going to end up being sent uh, Maltese or chopped didn't have a huge amount of confidence in my ability so I was quite pleased to go helicopters and then again you you get to express a choice for where you want to go at the end of your helicopter training. Um, when I was there, there was the Merlin, Chinook, Puma, or um, Search and Rescue. We still had the Yellow Battle Dodgers on the Sea Kings. But um, the Puma had a reputation for being just for the best pilots because of the sports car bite you in the arse um, thing. Mm. Um, I actually wanted to go Merlin when I was at, um, at that point in my flying training because it was still pretty much a brand new aircraft but it had very recently shorn a tail rotor in a flight down south one of the navy ones so they were all grounded so they weren't flying uh, weren't training anyone on it so um i got stream pima which i was really surprised at at the time um but i'm so glad i was because it's an absolutely awesome airplane to fly even with everything that's happened to me since and this is one of the things that um I'm actually really grateful to the podcast for and for your Instagram accounts because until last year when my awesome therapist at the time, hi Jane, um, had introduced me to um, to the VSUN podcast, I hadn't been able to separate out the, the really good parts of my Air Force career that I really enjoyed with the really bad parts. Whereas then I started sticking loads of photographs and dits up on, on Instagram of, um, of flying and and started to get some of that pride back in um in what i'd done and how much i enjoyed flying the puma back then because uh, it was you know it's it's what you what kids dream of when you when you know what you know when you're probably sitting in a soggy field in a in a hedge line either on salisbury plain or out in northern ireland or something how comes the sound of a helicopter coming to pick you up fly you back for a cup of tea within less than five minutes to Bestbrook mill or what have you it's you know guys sitting up front there giving you a wave and a thumbs up like yeah Wish I was doing that. Usually a four-tonner, to be honest, mate. <laughs> <laughs> usually, usually a four-ton Chinook. Zulu Atlas straps. What do you know about them? Do you know that they make straps for the watches of frontline operators around the world? Firemen, pilots, infantry. Maybe not infantry. You lot are fucking tight. I know you're probably not going out. You're probably whip wearing your G10 for men's strap. Well, it's time to put it away. Get yourself a Zulu Alpha strap. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated, 
support veteran causes and veteran endeavors like this podcast. And this is an endeavor. I mean, if you ever tried, if you ever tried fucking coming up with new adverts every week, then you know what kind of endeavor it is. So your homemate mucka geo. Get yourself a Zulu office strap. Don't cost much. I reckon if you've got time to be sitting around listening to podcasts, you've probably got the time to be buying a Zulu Alpha strap. Um, they look great. They work great. Durable, hard working. Never thought a strap could be hard working, but these are. Um, check them out, guys, and support veteran causes, all that kind of stuff. At Zulu Alpha Straps, ZuluAlphaStraps.com. All right, let's get back in the podcast. Um, so here's one. On the movies, right? Someone will be like, oh, we gotta get in this helicopter. I was, don't worry, I was in the army or whatever. And they'll be like some ex Navy SEAL who can fly all the helicopters. Let's just say that they're not, like, let's just say that they're an ex helicopter pilot. Could you jump in a Merlin and be like, sound, we're off? Or would you, or would jumping in a Merlin, would it, is it, is it comparative for like jumping from one car to another? Or would you be like, all right, cool, we're off, smash, big, big explosion? If it was running and you didn't have any emergencies on the flight, it would be fine. I could fly it. Right. But I wouldn't have a clue how to start a Merlin um, because all, all, all right. the switches. <laughs> they nice have a big. They nice have a big button that says push to start. <laughs> um, maybe they do on on the modern ones. The Puma, um, you had. Uh, it was all manual throttles and you had to be really gentle with it because if you pushed it, if you just slammed the throttle forward after starting it, it just burned the thing up and blow it. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, maybe with the new modern ones, you just go push to start and off it goes. But um, uh, but then also a big part of your training is how to deal with, um, with any emergencies when you're flying and... Uh, I yeah, well, so. absolutely. <laughs> as, as someone that sat in the back, I'm glad that was a big, big part of the training. Right. Um, so if you had an engine fire, for example, the fire extinguishers are probably pretty obvious, but if they weren't, then I wouldn't know how to put it out. And similarly, if you had, um, if the rotation of the blades was the opposite way and your tail rotors on the other side on the helicopter, your instinct from your training on your type of aircraft is going to make you push the pedals the correct way to keep the nose straight mm. if it's different you'd probably get it pretty quickly but in an emergency those are the sort of times when you go by muscle memory um so if you're making an emergency landing with engine off or something or uh, or the tail rotor off then um those are the sort of times that you want that muscle memory to kick in and your training at the risk of flaring your PTSD. But, um, at the, <laughs> but at the end of the day, show business comes first. Um, did you, did you have any emergencies where you did get in a bit where you did think like, ah, oh, fuck, not really. There was a hindsight one the closest I came. We, um, I, and I feel a, a very close affinity with the airframe that saved me on this day. Um, it was out in Iraq. We, we were about to go and do a, a, an early morning bus run. It was one of the days that I used to love flying on because it was sort of February, March. So it was still cool and cold in the morning. You'd still have a, a mist and you'd fly low level over the city um, and then turn over the river. And you were then able to drop down even lower because even though you're cleared to 50 feet, there's loads of masts and um, aerials and stuff. So you're, you're flying a little bit higher than 50 feet to clear all of those. But turning over the river, you'd then drop right down to 50 feet and so you'd be in line with the riverbanks either side and then you'd climb for the um the victory bridge and then especially with the cold morning you'd have the power to 
pull quite a tight turn to go into the green zone landing zone. So it was absolutely wonderful way to fly uh, those early mornings. I'd started the aircraft and um, it was running hot like we were talking about with the, the throttles, I was perhaps being a bit agricultural um, and uh, sticking a bit too much fuel in. Um, but actually, the it, it, we tried it a second time and then a lot more smoke started coming out. So shut it all down, the air traffic center, fire engines out just in case. But she cooled down, start opening up the cowlings with the engineers, which is all the sort of um, plastic sheeting and, and stuff that covers every, everything mechanical up. And there's a massive um, tub, looks like one of those um, huge plastic paint containers, um, tins of paint, um, right next to the gearbox and the tail rotor drive shaft, um, full of wipes from cleaning up the aircraft on the uh, on the servicing the night before. Oh, full of what? Like wipes? You mean like what? Like oily rags and stuff? Yeah. Um, so massive, heavy tin, like a giant paint tin. So if we taken off and flown just as we were turning to go down over the river that probably would have bounced down the inside of the tail rotor drive shaft which is like made of tin foil um and smashed its bits and we'd have probably had a tail rotor failure at no altitude above the river and ended up ditching if we were lucky so yeah it um that was the closest that was when i was sort of saved by saved by one of the aircraft but um i've never really had a an emergency landing or a, a time where I've had to do a, a daring do landing, I'm afraid. I gotta say, I enjoyed helicopter flights in Iraq a lot. Um, I don't know if it's because the airframes or just, I don't know what, what, but like you said, like the pilots used to follow like the rivers and stuff along and you'd be banking all over the place and it was fucking really cool. Um, was, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, whereas like in, in, in Afghan, it just seemed like more like bus, you know, you kind of come in, you take off a little bit of zigzag and then you're off and then it's across the desert and you're back. It was pretty, pretty dull really. But the Iraq ones, I'm sure there's a lot of people nodding their heads listening right now. A lot of those rides, really good fun. Cool. I don't think it's ever a Puma though, mate. I don't, really, I don't, I, I think I only, I think I only went in a Puma once and it was down on Salisbury plane, but was a Puma a back door one or was it a side door? Side. Side doors. Two side doors. What, is the, what was the thinking over making side doors, right? Because I've always just thought, like, tails, tail ramps seem a lot. I like those ones in Vietnam where you can jump on both sides. It's pretty alley. But, like, the one side, I always just thought it was a bit limiting. No, oh, Puma's got both sides. Oh, he's got both sides, is it? There you go. Must have yeah, just yeah, had yeah. the one open. Alley. Alley aircraft. But the, the absent, absence of a tail door in that is to stop you from walking into the um, tail rotor and turning your head into two pieces. Well, that makes sense. Um, if I was to raise money through a Kickstarter with a guest, would you be able to pilot a veteran state of mind? I want a Huey helicopter. So one of the things I don't ask for sports cars, mate. I don't ask for sports cars with big houses. All I want in my life is a working GPMG and a Huey. You want to tap up um, Fred North, that guy that does all the stunt flying out in Hollywood. Is, it, is he related to Peter North? Because he did some kinds of stunts in Hollywood, but it wasn't related to flying. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Young listeners, I'm not suggesting you Google Peter North, but if you do, <laughs> stick your VPN on and clear your browser history. <laughs> NSFW. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, mate. Too many letters for me. Not suitable for work. Oh, ah, it is, it is when you're right and work on your own, mate. Everything's suitable then. <laughs> um, mate, I've, en I've enjoyed today's chat, mate. It's been informative. Um, thank you for the work you're doing with the AFCS Pleasure. helpline, help site, website. Um, you know, it's nice veterans helping other veterans so i do appreciate it. i speak on behalf of all the loyal peasants listening today um everyone go over there check it out I'm sure james is open to feedback as well 
Um, any parting words, anything that you could ask from the listeners, anything like that? I mean, anything that's on your mind? Anything really? Um, keep an eye out on the um, the AFCS stuff because there's there is some movement at the moment. I think it's being debated. Like you said, we're not. It probably will have happened by the time. Well, it will have happened by the time the podcast comes out. But it's it's being debated um, in the House of Commons later this week. Um, I think it's around about the twenty third or twenty fourth of March. Um, Owen Thompson, I think his name is, is an SNP politician that has taken it upon himself to try and push for change with the AFCS and the War Pension Scheme. Uh, and there's a few other organisations that are um, involved in trying to get it updated. Or well, not even updated, just apply the fucking thing properly. <laughs> um, so if you have the wherewithal, write to your MP. Um, they usually have a on their website, they'll have their email address. And you, as long as you can say that you're their constituent, you can put in your postcode into the um, the Parliament website and it'll tell you who your MP is. Email them and say, I've had this dodgy experience with the AFCS. Um, I'm not asking you to do anything necessarily now, but please can you pay attention to this early day motion or to Owen Thompson's stuff or as it progresses and please take an interest. Um, because the more stuff like that that happens, even if it just rings a little bell in in their head, then they can throw a bit more support because they'll be getting written to by people from absolutely everything to support Ukraine, um, support Brexit, support the fisheries, support the steel. They've got everything and they're trying to deal with all of that. So it's just an, a little polite line to the MP just gives them a little placeholder in their head about it. And, the other thing is just try and be kind to people. Um, you know, people like Johnny Mercer, he's tried his hardest. Um, and I'm, I'm a Labour supporter, not... His officers stick together, don't they? <laughs> you can trust them. I, I agree with what you're saying about, say, yeah, but you all hang out in the officers' mess together talking about how to whip the peasants into shape. Um, <laughs> if you want to really make your letter stand out, like you say, they got letters coming in about Ukraine, this this cause, that cause, make your letter stand out. Send a nice piece of rope in the envelope and then they'll remember. Don't do that. James, I'm looking at the notes you sent me and you said rope in the mail to, <laughs> to the MPs. Um, You'll have the police turning up. Just say it's for, I don't know, fucking... Let's just say it, it's a, it's for neck cuddles. That's all it's for. It's a stress. <laughs> it's a stress relieving neck cuddler. The, I guess my only other parting shot would be the uh, helicopter pilots try their hardest to get to you. I'm sorry if we're always late. I'm sorry if the cabs break down. They are old. Pima have celebrated its fiftieth anniversary this year, but is this still in service? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, oh wow, yeah. It's it's in its second iteration now, um, as of uh, probably nearly ten years ago now. But um, yeah, they they updated it to about a nineteen seventies version about ten years ago. So when you say it's in fifty years of service, are we talking like Boise's broom here, where every part every part has been replaced, and so and you're like, well, we've been using these for fifty years, and every single new part is new. The the engines have been updated, and the avionics have been updated like ten years ago. But the ones that I was flying, it was very it was the hc1 model mark one it was uh you know bits have been bolted onto it but the engines were same spec as the first ones from the 1960s hydraulics um undercarriage tail rotor blades everything all original 
Do you have many of them? Uh, I'm guessing about 20, 20 to 30. It's not tons, especially when you've got a load in deep line servicing. You've got some deployed on exercise. You know, when height of a rack, you've got a load out there on um, on ops. You also need them for training the junior pilots, um, keeping everyone else current. It's They work hard. So we got about three that we can put in the field. And that's pretty good for the Britain. And this is and this is why we have four ton Chinooks. <laughs> Flying crane. Um, right, mate. Um, did you give um, the the uh, what you call it? The website addresses. Did you give that? And I will also put in the show notes. But if you didn't give it, can you give that again? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's afcshelp.co.uk. But also, if you go on to either my um, Instagram which is fairycakes33, or um, I've set up an Instagram specifically for doing memes about AFCS, and that's AFCS help. Is there also um, a bloodsucker that if people wanted to use to get their claim through, because as we've already discussed, our listeners are not intelligent people. Most of them are idiots. That's why they're here. <laughs> no, I'm joking, guys. I really, don't go anywhere, please. I need this. Um but like if someone wanted to do you don't have to answer this mate but if there is a law firm that you mm. would recommend and we're not taking any money from this wink um <laughs> who, who who would they who would they be and who can i hit up my foot for my commission there are probably quite a few um, and i've asked the ones that i've used if i can put them on the website but there's all sorts of that the the bean counters step in and go oh well he's got he uses naughty words on the website so we can't have ourselves associated with him kind of thing oh well fuck them then i'm not sending anyone there we <laughs> no if it- let their let their kids go to a second grade public school if they don't want our <laughs> if they don't want our peasant money they can fuck off a lot of them there's a there's a guy called um grant ever uh, alma law oh. um he's an He's an ex-commando um, artillery, I think. So he, he understands the lingo with being um, ex-military. Um, and he he was amazing with me. That time when I was f- freaking out, I'd just spoken to the Veterans Welfare Service and told you've only got three years. And my wife said to me, you've got your what really wide, scary eyes on. I think you need to go for a walk. Um, and I spoke to Grant and he said, just, okay, Paul, I probably babbled at him for a bit and he said just take a breath let's just sit talk it through and see where we're at and for a lawyer to do that is really something because their time really is money and the other firm if you want a big um a big firm owen mitchell have a dedicated team that only do armed forces compensation scheme work Uh, and i've heard very good things about them as well Um, so yeah those are the two that i can that I've interacted with and I can recommend personally. But there probably are plenty of others that are good. I'm going to get in touch with one of these companies too, mate, because you know what? I'd given up on mine. I say given up. I never even put it in because I was just like, fuck it. I don't want to deal with it. But now, you know, all of your talk about hanging hanging these people has inspired me. <laughs> and I, I think you could say you that you have incited me to violence and also to action. Um, and I'm going to put this in just because fuck them. And then we'll do something really charitable with the money. Um, char- charitable for me. Um, I'm like, a nice holiday. Um, but no, mate, like, you're right. I mean, the thing is, mate, you're right. You're like, what you said earlier, it was just like, you just get to the point of giving up. Even if you're not in a bad place, you're just like, ah, fucking hell, is it worth it? Because it's not like the amounts that give you life changing, is it? So it, it, it kind of just makes you go like, Ugh. but at the end of the day, 
people are owed the fucking money. So everyone go get your fucking money. Because otherwise, don't think of it as you not getting your money. Think of it as them having your money. Going and redecorating politicians' flats. Not just politicians, mate. Anyway, I got a list here. Anyone that works for Veterans UK, I'm going to hand this letter. This list will get sent to Joe at the end of the podcast to add to <laughs> to add to our tally for the day of the rope. Um, we got anyone that works at Veteran UK, the families of anyone that works at Veteran UK, their wife's and uh, <laughs> was it their wife's tennis partners or whatever. Black had the reference there for anyone listening. Um, mate, thank you so much for today. This has been very informative, and um, we'll have you back on to discuss. Um, basically see how things are going on the website once you've been up and running for a while so that'd be um, awesome you're welcome back anytime mate thanks for supporting the podcast thanks for sharing the podcast and thanks for all the nice things you said about me and joe i mean i run on uh compliments so i appreciate them deeply thank you and um anything we can do for you let us know everyone go follow afcs go follow the website go um if you're after the claim get on there get your information all that kind of stuff uh mate thanks so much for today really appreciate it thank you very kind Cheers, James. We sold a dream to all of us, a dream that we'd all die for. A reason for us all to live and something we could fight for. I might just help a man up to his feet or hold a newborn. But no matter what I do, my hands remembering my rifle.